And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Lead them, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Would you pray with me and let's ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, we come to you this morning and, and we encounter your word and, and, and we're just struck by the reality that you are God who desires to commune with your people, that you, that you literally communicate with us in your word. You want us to hear from you. And so we pray this morning uh, that Holy Spirit, you would open our ears to hear what you want to say to us. Would you open our eyes to see that we are in deep, deep, deep need for a Savior, for the God of our salvation? And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would magnify for us this morning that our only hope in life and in death is that we belong to Jesus. Would you help us clearly see him this morning? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to begin this morning by kind of asking you guys uh, a question to think about. In this season, uh, what are you longing for? What do you deep down desire? What do you deep down want from life, out of life? What are you longing for? Maybe you're here this morning and you hear that question and you're thinking, man, I got this one thing on my Christmas list that I really, really am longing for. I know I have those things. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, you know, it'd be really great if she would talk to me or if he would talk to me. Maybe that's some of the longings uh, of your heart uh, this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, if I could really get relief from this chronic pain that nobody else sees and nobody else knows about, but I experience on a day-to-day basis. Maybe you're here this morning and you are thinking to yourself, wow, another COVID variant. We're, we're still dealing with this. We still have to wear masks. Maybe you're here this morning um, and you're really literally staring down life and death in this coming year. You see, our longings and our desires and the deep down things in us, they can be, be simple things, um, but they can also be really, really complex things as well, too. Let me try to put a face on it for you. Um, in 2012, Nicole Teague uh, was a 34-year-old mom, uh, had two daughters, married to Matthew, and uh, Nicole went into the hospital with incredible abdominal pain. And it turned out that uh, she had ovarian cancer that had spread into her abdomen. As a matter of fact, the way the doctors described it, the doctor said to, to her husband, Matthew, it's as if somebody took a paintbrush and just splattered cancer all over your abdomen, all into your body. 
I hear about people like that and I hear about stories like that and I ask myself the question, why? Why? I mean, she has two daughters. She has a husband. She's a young, healthy woman. What in the world is going on? And it brings me to this reality that the life that we live, that the world that we live in is incredibly marred, is very, very, very broken. Often it is painful. We go our whole lives sometimes with unmet desires. There's so much suffering. Death is a reality for every single one of us. And Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are clear and honest about reality. They're clear and honest about the world that we live in, clear and honest about all of our longings. And Psalm 42 and 43, they invite us to be brutally honest about life and to step into God's promise of salvation in Jesus. So that's kind of our big takeaway this morning. Psalm 42 and 43 are brutally honest about life and they actually invite us to step into God's promise of salvation in Jesus. And the way we're going to get there this morning is we're going to think about two things, longing and remembering. So if you're a note taker, those are, the two, those are the two points, longing and remembering. Let's dig into longing here real quick. Well, we see it right at the beginning, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 42. We get this image. It's an image of a deer who is at streams and is taking in the water of that stream. The deer's panting, so it seems as though he's been running around an awful lot. He or she has been running around an awful lot. They're spent, and they need to get water in their body if they're going to be able to keep moving on. And the sons of Korah tell us, my soul, my soul is like that deer. My soul feels so parched. God, when am I going to get reprieve? When can I come to you to receive relief from this? In verse 3, we get another image. The psalmist writes, as though the only thing that I've eaten day and night are my tears. You ever been there? You ever wondered if the tears were, were actually going to go away? Did it felt like you have done nothing but subsist on tears? And they're not satisfying me. The tears are not filling up the hunger. My thirst is not being quenched. God, where are you in my need? Where are you in my longing? My soul is so dry. We encounter this psalm and we immediately run into someone who is just all over the place. All over the place. You see, because this isn't a dialogue. It's not talking with someone. This is actually a self-talk. Desperate for relief and all over the place. You ever felt all over the place? Those of you who are here who have little littles, who don't even know what sleep is anymore. You feel all over the place? You confuse the salt for sugar in your coffee? Done that before. It's not good. You need some relief? Maybe you're here this morning, you're like me, you've got young kids, you're not quite in that infant phase, but you're out of it, and then you're realizing that your children actually drive your entire schedule. 
And so like for me, a couple weeks ago, I showed up to pick up the three younger kids at one school only to find out that one of them had coding class afterwards. One of them wanted to go home with a friend and the other was going to go with, with me. And then we had to leave there and I had to go pick up our oldest, Lucy. And then I had to go from there to pick up the one who was in coding class. And the next thing I know, like I'm all over the place. and I have no idea what it is that I'm doing. Maybe you're here this morning and your kids have recently left. And so you got an empty nest now. And you're coming to grips with the reality that so much of your identity has been wrapped up in being parents to those kids. And then you're staring across the dinner table at another person. You're like, dang, man, I got to spend the rest of my life with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're on the brink of retirement and you're coming to grips with the reality that so much of your identity has been wrapped up in your work. And you're thinking to yourself, what? What is next? Like, what am I going to do next? Maybe you're here this morning and you are literally thinking about, what's the end going to look like? I've lived a long life. I'm way on the other side. What is that going to look like for me? Have I set my family up well in my, in my absence? You see, no matter who you are, like we all know that feeling of what it's like to feel like you are all over the place. And asking the question, God, where are you in this? What is going on? And one of the things that I love about God's word is it's refreshingly honest about life the way that it is. That oftentimes life is desperate. Oftentimes we feel like we're wandering, confused. We are longing for something to be satisfied. God's word invites us into that honesty. And actually says to us, don't stuff it down. Don't not talk about it. Like let it out. Bring it up. Enter in. Open up to God. Open up to others about what it is that you're struggling with and going through. That's the invitation in the midst of our longing. Then in verse 7, as we look further down to Psalm 42, we get another image. And it goes even deeper for us. So it's not only like a deer panting for water, but it's as though I'm drowning in what is going on. Not just thirsty, I've been overtaken by the waves of my situation, of what is happening to me, of what is going on. I truly feel helpless and like I'm totally out of control. What's this situation that this person is is talking about? I mean, up to this point, it's it's fairly general. Well, we get some specificity in verses 9 through 10 of 42 and then the first couple of verses in 43. Verses 9 and 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? You see, the writer of this psalm is literally under attack. There are those who want to harm him. He is feeling oppressed by that. There are those that want to take him down. Like, we get this image of, like, that words are killing me. 
Sticks and stones, but words will never hurt. Oh, so untrue. I love that God's word's refreshingly honest. Words can kill. Words can crush. And, this, and the writer of this psalm feels that deep, deep, deep down. These words, they're unjust. They're deceitful. My enemies are surrounding me. When I was thinking about this, uh, th- th- this psalm this week as I was preparing for it and everything, I thought to myself, like this particular part, th- th- this felt, uh, feels a lot like middle school and high school to me. It, it felt a lot like, man, I, that word right there. I mean, there's stuff in middle school and high school that still stick, stick with me. Like, I've been going to counseling for this stuff, right? That hurt, that wounds. And you know what? Here's the truth. As we grow older and as we get older, it actually isn't necessarily any less. We just figure out how we can try to hide the hurt and the pain a little bit more. But the reality is, is that oftentimes words are crushing And they're incredibly, incredibly hurtful. It feels like enemies surrounding me. Throughout the scriptures, this language of enemy is actually a multifaceted sort of thing. Here in Psalm 42 and 43, it's an outsider who is doing harm to me. So it's something that is coming from the outside, this enemy But scripture also tells us that sin is actually an enemy. That our own sin, personally, is an enemy to us. That it seeks to kill and to crush and to destroy and to oppress. So there's a sense in which our sin is an enemy to us. But you know what? It's also an enemy to others too. Because there is no such thing as victimless sin. It always goes outward. It always affects others. And truth be told, every one of us sitting here this morning, we read about these enemies whose words are crushing and killing and attacking and everything. We're guilty of that too. We've been the ones who have done that to others as well. That's our sin. That's an enemy that keeps us from being who God has made us to be. Pride crushes others and self. Materialism breaks banks. Power, oh, power has incredible potential to dehumanize. Selfishness robs others of generosity. Enemy is something from outside. It's also sin from inside, but enemy is also something that is described to us as the effects of sin in the world. Oftentimes, the way we talk about this around here is brokenness, right? That the world is really, really broken. That too is an enemy. As a matter of fact, that brokenness ultimately has all of us on a trajectory towards death, the ultimate enemy. Our own bodies breaking down. That that the reality that in this life, everything is moving toward decay, 34 with ovarian cancer, children left motherless, the body's natural decay, 15-year-olds gunning down their fellow students, a deadly virus that won't go away, 
a deep sense of longing for our enemies outside, inside, and around us to be no more. We all know this feeling if we're being honest with ourselves. And this longing that we read about here in Psalm 42 and 43 actually brings us to remembering. Because in this psalm, we get this back and forth. It's vacillating back and forth, kind of all over the place. And there's this specific refrain that we see in 42.5 and 11, and then in 43.5 as well, too. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, in the midst of longing, in the midst of a desperate spot, wanting relief, the writer remembers the God that he actually cries out for and asks, where are you? And this God is a God of hope, a God of salvation, a promise-keeping God. Verse 8, a God whose steadfast love, and that language there for steadfast love is this very particular covenant love that God has placed upon his people where he says, I will be their God and they will be my people, that I will be with them no matter what. This God, the psalmist says, is the God of my life even. So even in the midst of my enemies, God has actually ordered my life. He has never left me alone. He's not asking me to ignore it. Not asking me to numb it and to push it down and to push it away. But remember that he is with me. Remember that God is with us in the midst of our longing. Do you know God's presence like that? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced this reality that is, that is actually so difficult that it's hard to put into words that our psalmist gives us images for so that we not only think about the words that we're reading, but we think about the images of this reality that no matter what is going on in our life, no matter what is going on in our longing and in our brokenness, that we have a God who has not left us and he will never leave us and he will always be with us. And oh man, it goes even deeper. Look at verse 3 of chapter 43. God's presence brings truth and light to our darkness. In the shadow of our enemy, truth and light leads us to a God who's a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God who's going to make things right. In the deep, dark enemy of that sin that we are unwilling to share with anyone else because we're so afraid of what that might mean. The God of truth and light is there in that darkness, drawing us out in grace, convincing us that exposure actually brings forgiveness, actually brings healing and relief, birthed through confession and repentance and receiving God's assurance of his grace to us because Jesus has come and given himself for us. Turning to Jesus who died for even the most heinous of sin. 
Verses 2 and 3 of 43, we see that God is a refuge. His presence is with us. He brings truth and light to darkness, and he's also our refuge. We get to go to him for protection, that even at death's door, God is with us. He will see us through to wherever it is that he is bringing us, no matter what. Even through death, where those who belong to Jesus What awaits us is our Savior who meets us and who heals us and who fixes all of our sin and all of our brokenness and fully and finally puts to death all of our enemies. And it exceeds any of our wildest dreams of what that may even look like. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of Savior that we have in Jesus. The best that you can think of with him, it's going to be so much better. Verse 4 of chapter 42. And this God's presence with us is also remembering that God actually manifests his presence through his people. That as we come and gather and worship him together and come into the house that God is building with the bodies and souls of his people whom Jesus gave himself for, God is with us. It's a constant and consistent reminder that we don't do this life alone, that we actually do it together, rooted in our collective union that we have with Jesus. We get to have each other What a gift. What a gift that God gives us in the midst of our longing, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of when we feel like we're all over the place. God gives us the gift of one another to be with each other in that so that we can remember together who this God is that we have. And we can look to Jesus. Nicole Teague's husband is Matt. Matt, uh, Matt Teague is a writer for a living. He's written a number of articles uh, for a number of different publications. And when his wife, Nicole, was going through her bout of ovarian cancer, he decided that he wanted to start recording some of this stuff and writing some of this, uh, this down. And eventually that was actually published in 2014 in Esquire magazine. If you go and you read that, it's brutally honest about enemies. Brutally honest about the enemy that is cancer, that is a result of sin being in the world that God is going to eradicate. Brutal about the honesty of the enemy of our own sin toward one another and the way we treat each other in the midst of all this stuff. And also brutal about the enemy from outside who comes in and seeks to destroy and to kill. And as he's writing this about his wife, who he's watching just waste away from cancer. All along the way, he had a companion, a friend named Dane. And when Dane found out about his friend Nicole, who had cancer, he was living in New Orleans at the time, and they were living in Alabama, and he just decided to uproot and go and be with his friends and stay with them. And help get the girls to school and get the girls home. Help give her medications. Help Matt walk through this whole thing with his wife as she's dying. Help bathe her. 
Be with her. Be with Matt. Just be there and be present in the midst of terrible, terrible circumstance. Living with them, caring for them. He entered in to everything that was going on in their lives. And then as time went on and went forth, it was coming closer and closer towards the end. And they finally called the hospice nurse that the doctor had told him to call. And the hospice nurse came in and she assessed the situation and asked both Matt and Dane, how long has she, she been like this? And it said, for around four months. And she looked at them and she said, oh, bless you. I'm here now. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to get to the other side. And she did. She stayed with them. She was present with them and moving from presence and being with her in the midst of her longing to remembering. Being brutally honest about life, but also hope and hopeful for the situation ahead. And there's a moment in the midst of that where Matt is trying to stay awake as he sits beside the bed of his wife. And he looks at the hospice nurse and he says, I'm afraid to go to sleep because I'm afraid I'll go to sleep. And when I wake up, she won't be here anymore. And the hospice nurse looked at Matt and said, oh, what a blessing that would be. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not leaving. Dane is here. He's with you. We are not leaving. She was there seeing them through, all of them, to the other side of the enemy that was against them into a joyous presence that even in death, there's hope. Even as heartbreaking and heartrending as death is, there is something potentially beautiful. And Psalm 42 and 43 actually show us that. You see, because Psalm 42 and 43 gives us an even better friend and an even better hospice nurse for our enemies. We get a savior. We get Jesus. The refrain rings loud and true. Hope in God. My salvation. My God. You see the writers of this psalm, the sons of Korah, they recognized that salvation was needed from a personal standpoint, but in a big picture sense as well too. And they anticipated a Messiah that would come, who would come and rescue us from our enemies, whether that was outside or inside or all around us and redeem all of the brokenness and even defeat death itself. We see salvation in Psalm 42 and 43 fully and finally in Jesus. The living God that the psalmist is crying out to is the God who became man, who entered in, who lived the life that you and I should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died, but instead of getting the punishment that is due for our sin, what we get is life and righteousness because Jesus has said, I will absorb it for you on your behalf and you will have life in me and you will have resurrection in me. Jesus is the one who leads us into God's house with songs of praise and he holds onto and fulfills all of God's promises of life and hope and salvation and relief John's gospel tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Also tells us that he's the light of the world. 
and that darkness has not overcome him. As the deer pants for water and gets relief from the stream, Jesus tells us that he has a well and it has living water and that you and I get to come to that well and we get to taste and we will thirst no more. Jesus is God's presence with us and he carries us through in grace. He is everything that our hearts deep down long for. Everything is met in Jesus. And he doesn't minimize our circumstances. He doesn't tell us to numb it or to press it down or to push it away. But he invites us to enter in and to have hope for the life that we have in him, in this life and in the one to come. He fully casts down our enemies. Oh, and it's even better than that. He takes our pride and he turns it into humility. He takes our materialism and he turns it into generosity. He takes our power hungriness and turns it into compassion. He takes our selfishness and he turns it into gift. He takes our hard heads and our hard hearts and he turns it into understanding and empathy. He takes death and he turns it into life. And even in the midst of death, he sits with us and he says to us, oh, what a blessing it will be when you wake up and see me face to face. And I'm with you and you're with me. And you know that all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the hurt and all of the longing has been utterly redeemed and you have life with me that we will one day wake up in the presence of our Savior who loves us and who gave himself for us, and we get to step into God's promise of salvation in his one and only Son, Jesus. That's the invitation to our longing. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You will never thirst again. And that's actually what brings us to this meal that we get to take together where we get to see right in front of us tangibly the one who gave himself for us and the one who gives us life instead of death. And he does that through dying for us by becoming our sin, by becoming brokenness, by even becoming our enemies for us and taking all of that and giving us forgiveness and life and righteousness in exchange. On the night Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, one of his disciples would betray him. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat and remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we come to this table, come to eat this bread and drink this wine, that we are proclaiming the Lord Jesus' death until he comes again and he makes all things new. So if you're here this morning and you would say, all of my longings, everything I know they are met in Jesus. I'm not living that perfectly. 
I don't believe that perfectly all the time, but man, I know that Jesus is holding me far stronger than I ever will hold him. And this table is for you. Jesus says, come, eat and drink. But if you're here this morning, and that's not what you would say is true about who you are. If you wouldn't say that, that, that Jesus is holding on to you more strongly than you ever will to him, you wouldn't say that Jesus has given himself for you, then this meal is not for you yet. But come to Jesus, and you'll never thirst again. And so what we would ask you is to let these elements pass you by, because we wouldn't want you to partake of something that's not actually true of what you believe. But we'd love to talk to you about Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about how he's come, and he's given himself for you and for me. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us uh, a tangible gospel. Jesus, your body given for us, your blood shed for us. A proclamation of what you have done and also a promise of what you will continue to do to grow us in your grace. And so Holy Spirit, as we come to this table this morning that Jesus has made in front of us, would you do that very thing? Would you remind us, help us to remember what Christ has done for us and help us to remember that Christ is not yet done with us, but that he will grow us uh, in grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If I still got my bearings right, the way that we are gonna partake of the supper this morning is to come to the inside of your aisles and you see that there's bread um, and there's wine on one side and juice uh, on another. Um, grab those cups, take them back to your seat um, and, and have a seat and then we will uh, partake together. If you have any sort of allergies, the cups that are right up here in front of the sign, they have, those have an allergen-free uh, bread uh, for you. And also, if you, if you need someone to bring it to you, if you just kind of like raise your hand a little bit and, and we'll help out um, and bring it to you as well too. But beloved, let's come. Let's come and feast with our Savior together.